Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Empire Sports Talk with your host, Max O'Neill, and myself, Joe Tedesco. Kind of switching things up with the intro. Max always introducing us, but I'm doing it today just as a uh, little bit of a switcheroo, kind of getting things interesting and, um, you know, still in the mix of a global pandemic. And it is May 20th. This has been two months now and counting that this pandemic is going on. And most importantly, two months and counting without sports. It is getting to the point where I want to put my head through a wall. I mean, yes, watching old sports films are great. Don't get me wrong. But after a while, it's like, I want to see something live. I want something to cheer for. And I want something that overall is going to bring a, a gut feeling to my stomach when there's an 0-2 pitch and the game's on the line or there's a Hail Mary thrown into the end zone. Do have time for football, but, you know, most importantly, like I said, I just want sports back. And, Max, I'm sure you're the same way. Yeah, it's been the longest two months of all time. I mean, especially now, you know uh, – as a college graduate trying to get into the sports media field, it's really hard to get into the sports media field right now when there's no sports to cover, you know, hundred percent in the world that I was expecting to graduate into. um, You know, if you had asked me in January um, or February, I would have had hopefully had a job right now um and after graduating on sunday in ithaca come back maybe you know on monday the yankees are in milwaukee this week and so you know i was talking to one of my friends about going to milwaukee potentially as a graduation present to watch the yankees see yelich and those guys there that obviously is not happening you know go to a ball game at the stadium do whatever you know, and of course, get a job at some place, somewhere around the country talking about sports, which is very tough to do right now with no sports to talk about. But things t- look to be turning a corner, hopefully for the better, and hopefully um, it stays that way and does not uh, roller coaster. You know, once everything starts opening back up, it skyrockets again, which is the way that it is um, happening, unfortunately, in a lot of the places in this country that are already um, opening up, you know, um, New York State uh, is going down according to the data that I've seen, but states like Texas are skyrocketing back up. Yeah, this is something that nobody has seen before, so... People are trying to say, oh, we should open up. And then, you know, if they do open up, well, the numbers are going back up. Well, if we don't open up, then the economy is going to go down the drain. So it's a situation where it's like you're almost like losing on all ends. And it's a situation that no one really expected ever to happen. But um, I do know that once this is over – and sports has started back up that 
you know, you will definitely, I'm sure, get a good graduation gift. Hopefully it's courtside seats at a Knicks game or right behind the glass at a Ranger game I'd or take right the dugout at a Yankee game. I'd take any of those. I'd take half of that. I mean, yeah. right now I would take sports. So yeah. I would take being able to sit on my couch, you know, and watch a sporting event live where I can't answer the question of who won this game until it's over because I don't know who wins it until it's over. You know, um, and economically, we look at economically, I was writing an article for a school the other day about this, uh, Joe. And so, yeah, Joe, you know, if we want to look at, as you said, sports from a um, economic point of view. I wrote a, I read an article the other day from ESPN that was interesting that estimates that sports um, with the canceled games, sports and um, sports related businesses. So that's, you know, bars and restaurants and bodegas and things of that, you know, hotels in the area surrounding stadiums um, and all the way down to, you know, Little League sports will lose an estimated $12 billion this year. So yeah. Um, from the major leagues themselves and the stadiums and the teams all the way down to little leagues, you know, and restaurants, you know, things that are indirect that are not, or that are, you know, adjacent to sports in that they are, you know, a restaurant a block away from the stadium or, a, you know, a bar two blocks from the stadium, you know, whatever. Things that benefit from the sports economy. Absolutely. And I think that sports – Personally, um, I anybody would take live sports for sure, even w when there's no fans. Um, and I would definitely think that it would be a jump start. I think they should definitely do it to try it uh, just to get live sports going so people could see something. But at the same time, I think that sports without fans is going to be very weird and it's just going to change – the entire atmosphere. It was weird. I watched, um, it really struck me as very, very weird. Um, a few weeks ago for UFC 249, um, in which Justin Gaethje fought uh, Tony Ferguson, did a great uh, main card matchup, uh, main event matchup, and it was a great fight. And it honestly felt like to me that I was watching a pre-edited video in that somebody had was showing me the footage of the fight if you had got in and made every individual sound a different um, layer on – Adobe Audition or, you know, Avid Pro Tools um, and specifically isolated the crowd noise and deleted it. It was very eerie in that it was a lot of moments in those fights where 
you know that the crowd would have been going crazy, you know. Yeah. Um, or that the crowd would have made, you know, an impact, you know, any sort of impact on the fight, and then that didn't happen. And, you know, in keeping with that sort of idea, I found it interesting, and I think you'll find this interesting, Joe, that um, the that Greg Hardy, who fights in the UFC, uh, the former Cowboys linebacker, um, and Panthers linebacker, who I despise as a human being. Same. And do not think he should be fighting in the UFC at all. If it was up Same. to him, he would not. But that's a discussion for a different day. He said that the lack of crowd noise allowed him to hear the broadcasters um, and I assume the coaches more clearly. And so when they were criticizing him, he could then adjust um, and hear the other coaches more, you know, clearly and adjust to what he was doing to fix it. You know what I'm saying? And I was thinking that I think the only other sport where that would be applicable is basketball because, you know, the baseball and hockey broadcasting booths are all the way up. So even in an empty stadium, you're not going to be able to hear what the broadcasters are saying. Right. And so I think basketball, right. because the broadcasters are right on the floor, is the only sport where that would be applicable in this case. Yeah, I think that um, really for any sport, I mean, even if you try putting in like tracks like they were doing, uh, and like you were saying, like I, I also watched highlights of the UFC fight from a few weeks ago. And I mean, when I say that was weird, uh, that is just another level of weird without fans. Yeah. Like we take for granted how much fans mean to this game, to sports in general. Yeah. And um, I also saw highlights of the WWE match the matches that have been going on and it's just so weird without fans i mean yeah because wwe I mean, I, they I mean, live off fans though <laughs> yeah they interact part of the show of wwe is crowd reaction i think wwe suffers from the lack of fans because there is such a play between the superstars um, and the crowd. Absolutely. And I think that um, you can't put in a soundtrack if you even tried because it would be like watching a TV show almost and it would be like... A laugh track? You think yeah, it would almost be like a laugh track where you're watching the show and it's like, oh, this isn't, you know, that realistic. And obviously you could tell it's fake. And I mean, some people are going to say, well, it's better than nothing, which I mean, in this situation, you know, all things considered, but at the same time, like I said, it's half the sport is literally fans going to the game. And even when you're on, you know, watching TV, watching baseball and whatever. I mean, I know you said WWE, but, you know, fans are definitely a big part of that too. You, you hear the reaction and it's uh, 
something that's just weird. Yeah. And, you know, I think, um, and I said this to somebody the other day, it really, like, up this question to you, Joe, have you ever in your entire life watching sports and going to sporting events, whether it's, you know, as low level as St. Thomas Aquinas or it's as high level as the New York Yankees or the New York Knicks or whatever, have you ever watched or been to a sporting event where there's no fans? Like, we're so accustomed to watching sporting events and hearing the crowd noise and being at sporting events and being surrounded in the crowd noise. No, and uh, as a matter of fact, even when I play, you know, Madden or MLB The Show, there's fans there. So it's kind of, um, you know, that that's something that even in a video game, obviously you're going to have fans and it's like you, you have fans in a virtual game, but you can't have fans in real life. And uh, it's just, it's like mind boggling this whole thing. And I mean, the whole point of having the stadium there with all those seats is literally to have fans. It, it's, I mean, this is not, um, you know, I mean, we are, sorry to interrupt you, Joe. You're good. We are, in an unprecedented time, you know, coronavirus does not exist in Madden, you know. No, I know. I was just saying as a joke, but yeah. I'm just saying overall, you know, field of dreams is a, is a field where uh, even there, I mean, I'm sure there's a little tiny bleacher section, but. Greatest baseball movie of all time. Yes. Yes. I, I do agree that it's up there. It's up there in terms of the greatest baseball movies of all time. It's not up there. It is there. It's number one. It's one of my favorite movies of any genre of all time, and it's the greatest hey, listen, sports we, movie. We all, we all have our opinions. Um, I would definitely rank it in the top three. What's your top three greatest? Or top, no, I'll say top two. Top two. What's your top two greatest baseball movies of all time? Oh, you know what? Top three. Uh, my my favorite baseball movie of all time is... I'm going to get refocused real quick, but yeah. My favorite baseball movie of all time is Moneyball. It's a good movie. Um, love Moneyball with Brad Pitt and uh, Jonah Hill. It's a good movie. Um, I also like The Rookie. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but... I did. Um, with Dennis Quaid, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that movie. Those two movies are phenomenal. But Feel the Dreams is, is right there, I'm, I'm telling you. Uh, for me, you know, I have a different opinion, and that's why we're doing this podcast, and that's why, you know, we, we're good friends. And uh, sports sucks without fans. That's the bottom line. <laughs> Would you pipe in fan noise? Um. Is that even allowed? I don't know, if, admittedly, if that's – I know that um, – Well, explain excess, more. Excess piping in of crowd noise is not allowed. But would you pipe in any crowd noise in that it's – to make the atmosphere seem more normal to the television viewer? Um – I would try it. A hundred percent I would try it. Because during this time, like I said, everything's considered. So, you know, even if you do it on uh 
in the stadium, you could do something where they do special effects where it's like, you know, you hear a buzz around the stadium pretending that there's fans. So it's almost like the players also feel like there's fans in the stadium. And then, you know, if there's a base hit, you could do like a, a soft cheer home run. Obviously you're going to do a loud cheer. And uh, I would definitely try it. I would try doing it in the stadium and I would also try doing it on TV. Now, is that going to affect the way players play? I think that it'll definitely be weird to them because, you know, you're hearing all these noises and there's no fans in the, the seats. But at the same time, I'm sure they'll just adjust to it. And it's like going back to Little Leagues for them where there's barely anybody in the seats. Um, and also, I would consider for sports to have half the capacity or 25% of the capacity of the stadium where there's at least six feet apart and, you know, have something, um, you know, maybe they could do like boxed off sections of let's say families or um, like areas where there's going to be like a little tiny glass shield they could put up just to have some fans come in. Or they could do like, you know, one seat and then two empty seats, one seat, two empty seats. And they could do that for every single row. I, I think they should definitely consider doing something like that. I could see that happening. I don't think that it will be sort of a – I think it will be something – a slow, gradual progression like that. I don't think that um, by, you know, opening day of next year or, um, you know, which when I estimate on a rough estimation of when sort of fans will be allowed back in stadiums a little bit, I don't think it'll be just sort of a mass descendants. You know, I think they'll sort of have capacities – for maybe, you know, the the end of this season, maybe they'll have capacities of 2,000, 3,000, something like that. And then if, you know, you have 800 cases out of those 2,000, you have 1,000 cases out of those 2,000, then you, you know, go back to square one. But if you have, you know, 100 cases out of those 2,000, then you sort of can – keep it like that for a little bit, sort of keep it regulated. Well, that's also the biggest problem that, you know, they're definitely facing, right? I mean, the biggest thing is, you know, not even for the fans. I mean, obviously in the beginning, they're going to do no fans. And, you know, at uh, the later part of the season, for instance, let's just do baseball because, you know, they did that whole proposal, which we'll get into in a second. But, um, you know, I think it'll, it'll, uh, it'll be tough if somebody on the team gets sick and then it kind of spreads to two other players because I think that's the nightmare. That's the nightmare. Sport. That's, that's going to happen. You know, unfortunately, I, I think that it, there's a high possibility of that happening and yeah. When that happening, 
when that happens, I mean, like you said, we have to go back to square one, and it's going to be like, what just happened? Like, we just tried to reopen all the baseball. We're trying to give fans something to watch with popcorn. And then, boom, corona strikes again. So, listen, this is going to be a risk, obviously, that all sports are taking when they are opening up. And that is including no fans. But the biggest thing is, what I look at is, you know, a player getting sick and then spreading it to other teammates. And, um, I mean, that's what shut down this whole thing in the first place was Rudy Gobert getting sick. And then, well, yeah, Rudy Gobert definitely helped shutting everything down for sure. But, um, I mean, it was probably going to happen without him. It was probably going to happen anyway, exactly. But he, um, vastly sped up the process. Yeah. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It really yeah. is. Um, and so transitioning a little bit into sort of areas that, like the UFC, like we discussed, that are and the WWE, WWE, excuse me, that are moving ahead without fans. Uh, the KBO, the Korean Baseball Organization, they're being shown on ESPN. Um, viewership numbers on that is not available, um, unfortunately, at the moment. Um, but those games, I assume, are pretty um, good viewership-wise for ESPN. Not great because the games are at, like, 5.30 in the morning. There's a game tomorrow, Eastern time. Um, and so, you know, that's early in the morning. Um, but – those games are happening all of the live sports right now, except for really uh, last time I checked, at least Belarus are happening without fans. And so like Korea with the baseball league uh, is having cardboard cutouts in the seats and mannequins, which is entertaining. You know, I know I was watching a game the other day. And there was a cardboard cutout of, like, a dog and a cat and a baby behind home plate. Um, and Bundesliga in Germany is being played without fans, um, which is interesting to watch. I mean, I'm definitely getting more used to it. The more I watch, the more I'm getting used to it. Um, and so it's still weird. I still, obviously, you know, Wish there were 20,000 screaming uh, people there. You know, that was interesting. And one thing that they're doing in in Germany, um, Joe, that I wanted to ask you about, I don't know if you saw this, was uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, One of the teams in the Bundesliga is filling their stadium with cardboard cutouts of fans. they put out a thing on their website or whatever that said for around $20, um, you'll email them a picture and they'll put it on a cardboard cutout um, in the stands, which I think is awesome. I did not see that, but that's pretty interesting. I think it's awesome. Like if the Yankees were doing that, 
I'd do that, honestly. I'd pay 20 bucks. I mean, too. I get uh, – I guess I would do that as well, but cool. are you actually going to be able to spot yourself in the stand? Um, and I think you should be able to choose um, where you want your um, – you know, where you want your thing to be, you know, on maybe a first-come, first-served basis. Because, like, let's say um, I'm a season ticket holder and I've been sitting in the same seat for 20 years. I think it'd be cool to have my cardboard cut out sit in that seat, you know. Absolutely. But, unfortunately, I am not a season ticket holder. <laughs> I am not either. I'm just saying. But, you know. It'd be no, cool that, that'll be cool. And I think that if – um your face is there and you know, your face gets hit with the baseball. You should definitely get <laughs> a free prize, like a free hat or 100%. a signed baseball bat. You should get the ball. They should chip the ball to you. There you go. That'd be awesome. That would definitely <laughs> be awesome. Um, they should ship the uh, thing to you as well. At the end of all of this, whatever, they should ship the cardboard cut out to you. Would you pay – $20 for a cardboard cutout to sit at Yankee Stadium? Probably for uh, for one game. Um, Not for the whole season? If it was 20 bucks for the whole season until real fans are allowed back in, you wouldn't do it? Oh, the whole season, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it'd be funny. I would, I would put it in a spot where baseballs are – more likely to land, like not in the nosebleeds, maybe like uh, in right field porch or maybe in the judge's chamber and they'll put a wig <laughs> on my face. <laughs> That'd be hysterical. That would be very <laughs> hysterical. And would you um, – and maybe, you know, you can have different pricing. Maybe, you know, it's $10 to put your, you know, your cardboard cut out of the nosebleeds up high in the 400s, but it's, you know – Thirty dollars to put your cardboard cut out right by the dugout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that'd be very, very, uh, very cool. Um, and so, what? And so, UFC two forty nine, as we were talking about earlier, it had seven hundred seven hundred thousand pay per view buys, which is a lot of pay per view buys. And I think that. All of, I personally am of the opinion that all of these numbers are significantly inflated by the lack of fans. Um, and if we had time for the NFL draft recap a few weeks ago, I was going to bring up the fact that that had a lot of viewers setting a record um, is an inflated number as well because you have to um, – you know, you have to account for all of the viewers that would not be there normally because of, you know, the the stadium. Um, the stadium where the event took place sits... Um, since around 14,091 uh, 14, people. And so, you know, 700,000 minus 14,091 people. And then 
you know, if there were other sports on, you you would you could then subtract the people watching other live sports and at other live sports and you know at work and at you know et cetera et cetera et cetera and so that's why I don't take too much stock at this point in time in viewership numbers because I think they are inflated. Um yeah I could have done that. Um I I I believe that uh you know UFC is um and like the NFL draft because right now everyone's watching from home in the TV. I think it's something that um you know will continue to to kind of go on and I think the viewers would uh would continue to be a big number even if they are inflated. Uh you know, it's something that we can't um we can't really avoid. I think and, they'll be a big number. I'm not saying they won't but I'm saying that once the world gets back to normal, these numbers will return back to the median because of other distractions and because of fan attendance. I think that uh, that's a big possibility, and I think you're right. I think that once everything resumes – which we don't know when, um, it will definitely, you know, flatten the curb just like Corona. <laughs> yeah. Or at least just go down a little bit. But I think you're going to see, because of this virus, uh, a lot of TV stations start to get more and more popular again because people are home and, you know, what else are they doing? Um uh, you know, I think that the, you know, TV has kind of died out over the last five years because of social media. So I think that uh, it'll definitely help cutting. TV stations. Yeah, I think cord cutting and I, is, to your point, a big reason for the demise of television. And I think that, um, or at least for cable, but television. Um, and I think... I could very, very easily see um, when things like baseball um, and we'll get to it in two in a second. Um, but depending on what happens with hockey and basketball, if they return, if they jump into the playoffs, whatever they do, um, there will be a huge spike upward. Um, for like a week and a half, two weeks before slowly then returning to sort of normal levels. Because I think it will be a huge groundswell of excitement of live sports are back, baseball's back, you know, basketball's back, hockey's back, football is back, you know, et cetera, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Live sports are back. And then it'll be like, okay, life is getting back to normal now. And so there'll still be large viewership numbers as there is, you know, on every year in, you know, sports that are not named baseball. Um, but I think it will sort of 
go back to the normal level um, after an initial sort of excitement boom. Um, I I do think so too, but at the same time, I think it's going to be a slower resume. Like I do think a lot of people think, you know, one day, boom, everything's going to go back to normal. I think it's going to be a very slow climb to where everything was in terms of opening up and uh, just going back to work. So I think, I so I think that, um, you know, like I said, this is going to help TV stations out a lot now. The last dance. We will get to that in one second, but, but right now that... we're gonna talk about um what were you gonna say, Joe? Sorry. No, 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 you're okay. That and other documentaries that are coming out on ESPN thirty for thirties, that'll be just literally they're throwing tons of them at us every I believe Sunday, right? Yeah. So every Sunday they're gonna be doing that. Now, besides that, and I guess you could say first take in the morning, but how many other people are viewing ESPN and sports channels? I think it's – I think their viewership numbers are hurting a lot. I think that that's – I mean, I don't think I know that that's 100% why um, they – moved the last dance up the last dance wasn't supposed to come out until like july yeah um and they moved it they you know flew it up because they had to fill airtime you know it's it's one of the issues um of the 24 hour news cycle and by no means am i complaining about that but it's just one of the is that you have to fill airtime with something and you know again they would be gaining these viewers from you know coverage of the NBA playoffs and you know Sunday Night Baseball, Monday Night Baseball, Wednesday Night Baseball you know all of these things that are no longer on their schedule right now and so they were hurting for viewers and so they moved it up because it's a lot harder to get in viewers to continually watch old sporting events um, and especially some of the other programming like sports center which is entirely reliant pretty much on live sports highlights yes um when there is no live sports to fill that void or that you know those time slots um, and so, yeah, sorry. No, and, um, you know, The Last Dance, I mean, it did great in terms of reviews, and, you know, we'll transition into that now. We're going to talk about it, and... Uh, real quick, we'll talk about, um, sorry. Uh, You're good. How do you, Joe, think that, uh, how do you envision sports specifically uh, the NBA and the NHL who were postponed with uh, games left in their regular season how do you picture them um, returning and do you pick do you see them 
just jumping into the playoffs? Or do you see them trying to fit in the rest of their regular season? Well, first, I think they need to get a start date. I think the biggest thing is when could they actually start playing again? And then once they are able to start playing again, then you could start talking about, um, you know, whether they want to jump right into the playoffs or continue the regular season and then either shorten the regular season or just finish the regular season. Now, the biggest thing for both of those sports is running into football. They, they don't want to do that. And for very good reason, because football, you know, if there is a hockey game on or a, uh, a basketball NBA finals on, and there's a football game on now, I think a lot of people will definitely still watch the finals, but it's, it's not going to be the same as if the finals were, you know, solely the main thing going on in sports or hockey was the main thing going on in sports. That's how big football is in America. And I think that, um, you know, overall, um, it could be something that, uh, it could take some, some decision-making and some risk-taking. And I think that if they really, you know, want to go all things considered, I think because it was closer to the end of the season, go right to the playoffs. I think that's what they do. And I think if you are running the risk to address your point of um, overlapping with football and we get to a point where it's, you know, September, I think you just scrap everything because you can't impact next season. Because if you impact next season, that'll impact the season after that, which means that'll impact the season after that, which means that'll impact the season after that, and then when do you stop? You know, yeah, when I think do you it's eleven it? o'clock. I I think you're right. I think um end of August is like the max for these two sports to Yeah. I to think end. I think you're aiming to probably get started um, as uh, this is another point we can make right here as Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York um, said or no excuse me as California Governor Gavin Newsom said that sporting events can start the first week of June I think you're aiming to be done by sort of mid-July to then give the players from mid-July to early September, which is, you know, or late September, which is by all means an abbreviated off-season, but you have to do what you have to do with these, um, you know, never-before-seen times um at least in our lifetimes and so yeah i think you have to be done by mid-july and i think you do at this point in time have to jump into the playoffs i think it's it sucks for the teams that are close you know the new york rangers are only one 
point. Um, so that's literally an overtime loss. Or no, I think they're three points out of a playoff spot right now, so that's one win. They're close enough where if they continued, they would be able to get in. Yeah, so they could squeak in. And so that sucks for all of the teams that can make that point. But I think you just have to say, you know, sorry if it was up to us, you know, we'd be able to. But there's other considerations at play. Um, And so, yeah, I think you have to – you can't let it impact next season is the biggest key for me. Right. Um, I yep. Yeah, I I I couldn't agree with you more. I really couldn't. Um, you know, just hopefully let let's like I said, get a start date on these sports, and then we could definitely go from there. And uh, you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Um. And so. Now, switching gears to talk about, we were just earlier, a few minutes ago, speaking about um, ESPN and their 30 for 30s that they're running until the end of um, July, or excuse me, um, into mid-June, after their highly acclaimed um, ten-part documentary about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls dynasty, um, the Last Dance, and so the uh, ninth and tenth episodes to finish it off were broadcast on Sunday, um, Joe. And so we both have um, watched all ten parts. Um, and so, what were your um, favorite moments from the show, Joe. What were your thoughts and what were your favorite moments? Overall, I'm just going to say that, you know, I believe that this sets in stone that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player to ever live. I think that, you know, going behind the scenes and, you know, seeing how competitive this guy really was. I mean, that really is what it came down to is the competitiveness, which really drove him to win every single night and to be a, um, you know, superstar athlete, you know, scoring 30 to 50 or even more points and, uh, you know, bringing his game He's playing at that high level every single night, along with the expectations, along with the pressure. And, you know, going behind the scenes to see um, that a dynasty isn't all, you know, sunshine and rainbows. I mean, there was some stuff with the GM. Um, They really hated Jerry Krause, which I argue is a little bit unfair, but. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I mean, they did, and um, you know, sometimes it, I think Jordan himself pushed it to the limit with Jerry Krause, and I think he, you know, bottom line is when he was on the court and he had that jersey on, 
he was definitely an a-hole. Um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately for him, he saw it as, you know, just pushing his other teammates to win. And, um, you know, I believe that he didn't want to be mean to them where he wanted to take it, you know, have each teammate take it personal, but he wanted them to just strive for perfection and, you know, do whatever it takes to win. And, uh, you know, that's why, you know, I believe, I know you might have a different opinion. I don't know if it's different after this, but I believe Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. Um, you know, to have back-to-back three-peats is something – people don't even have one three-peat, let alone two three-peats. Yes, he had help, but I, I do think that um, Michael Jordan, if he came back for that 1998-99 season, I believe he could have won a seventh without question. And I think that – um you know, to go six and zero in the finals is just something ridiculous. I mean, you know, LeBron going to all these finals is is one thing, but to actually consistently win it, and you know, like I said, um, for him to be that competitive uh, over every little thing. I mean, every little thing he did, it was a, it was a competition. Uh, like you saw in some of the videos where they were playing poker on the plane, you know, he wanted to, he wanted to, um, you know, win the pot and he would join right in and he wouldn't stop playing until he won. So yeah. uh, he was just a hell of an athlete. Um, and I think it's the biggest reason why he has his own brand, Jordan brand. And I mean, some people, they call him Black Jesus. Other people actually think he's Black Jesus. But <laughs> I I do believe that this sets in stone that he is the greatest of all time. I think I – I don't think I – I did gain a tremendous amount of respect for him as an athlete and a person. I think that some of the things I saw were – insane in that I forgot who the player was but he um, they played the Hornets or somebody like that um, and he said that a rookie trash talked him in the first game and they had played at home and home with them like the next day or two days later and Jordan went off and scored like 37 in the first half and they asked him like was that real? Or like, did he actually like say that to you? He's like, no, it's not true. I think that's crazy that he needed that he, even if it wasn't true, he needed something to fire himself up. He needed that, you know, thing to fire himself up, even if it wasn't true. And I think that is what makes certain athletes great is that insane competitiveness. And, you know, a a lot of times in that documentary, I saw people trash-talking Michael Jordan, and I said, you're dead. I, like, out loud said, you're dead, it's over, go home. Because if you say anything to him, 
except for hi michael how was your day today i hope you're having a nice day it's a good game that we have today he's going to murder you i mean absolutely and um you know i think a prime example is um is uh george carl uh, you know, when they were playing the Supersonics in a playoff series, uh, he went over to Michael, looked at him, and he kept walking without saying hello. Yeah. Just from that, Michael Jordan torched him. Had a spark in his head that said, his team will not score a point on me. Yeah. I will drop 60 on them. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think it's the level of. I think the level of crazy, unending competitiveness and drive to be to crush everybody in your way until you are the greatest that has ever lived, and then be unable to stop to turn that competitive off, competitiveness, competitiveness off, is what makes certain athletes great. It's what Michael has and had when he was playing. It's what Kobe had. May he rest in peace, of course. You know, it's what LeBron has. I think a little bit that sort of, you know, ability to just be able to look at somebody and want to run them over. It's what, you know, Gretzky has, you know, you know what I'm saying. I think all of these great athletes have that. Yeah. And that killer mentality is the word that I was looking for. And I I think what really got me with the competitiveness is when Michael Jordan, you know, specifically said, there's a price to winning. And leadership, personally – he said, you know, also has its price. So, in other words, you know, at one part, I'm sure you remember, he had to cut the scene out because he was getting emotional because he said, you know, he didn't have to, he didn't have to push his teammates so hard. He, you know, wanted to have that as a mentality. And, you know, if another player didn't want to play that way, he said, don't play that way. And I, I think that was the – that might have been the best scene of The Last Dance, um, you know, him saying that, because it just shows you how much he wanted to win, not only for himself, but his teammates. He wanted to push them to the ultimate ultimate cliff, you know, see how they could handle it. And, you know, that along with his athletic ability – I mean, when you put two and two together, that's just yeah. It's like it's it's unstoppable. And if we're being a hundred percent honest with ourselves, Michael Jordan was a bully, and I thought it was interesting. Yeah, he had to be that when people stood up to him, like when Steve Kerr stood up to him, he respected them more for that than just sort of whimpering away and taking it you know I love the quote I saw yesterday from uh, Robert Parrish about playing with Jordan Robert Parrish was part of the Celtics teams with Larry Bird when they won a lot 
And then his, did you see this? Joe? Um, wait, what? Robert Parrish, the quote about um, him playing with Michael Jordan. No. And so Robert Parrish, who, you know, of course was one of the all-time great centers. Yes. Legendary Celtics of all time. His last season of the NBA, in keeping with this point of sort of standing up to the bully that was Michael Jordan, um, played for the Bulls and won a championship in 1996-97. And he said this, and you'll appreciate this, Joe. He said, uh, what set Larry, that being Larry Bird, um, apart from Magic and Jordan, was he wasn't an in-your-face leader like they were. He had too much respect for us. If you weren't having a good night, he was more inclined to encourage you or not say anything at all. But Magic and Jordan would jump all over you. Um, And then this article also brings up the point that um, in one of his first practices with the Bulls, Robert Parrish messed up a play in practice, and Jordan was, you know, going after him like he did all of his teammates. Um, And Parrish said, I told him, I'm not as enamored with you as these other guys. I've got some rings, too. At that point, he told me, I'm going to kick your ass, uh, Parrish recalled. I took one step closer and said, no, you really aren't. After that, he didn't bother me. Yeah, and I think Michael Jordan wanted to, you know, Larry Burke being a completely different person. And also – um the documentary explains about Scottie Pippen being a completely different person when Michael Jordan went to play baseball. Yeah. They said that he was much softer and just a nicer leader. Uh, He'll encourage you when you miss a shot, things that Larry did. And I think Jordan doing the complete opposite wanted to implant fear in your head. Yeah. You know, there's a fear that if you don't do this, you're going to lose. So let's do this right. Yeah, I don't think Michael Jordan was is a very nice person, and I don't think he hides it, though. But, you know, I don't know. But I thought it was – he came off – I enjoyed the documentary mightily. I am trashing Michael Jordan right now, and I don't mean to. I respect him. I think he is one of the greatest players of all time. I think this competitiveness um, and this – Killer mentality made him one of the greatest to ever play basketball. But he was, he doesn't seem like a very nice person. And those two things are not, of course, you know, uh, mutually exclusive. And I think, um, I thought it was interesting to see the behind the scenes stuff with. Dennis Rodman, of course. I enjoy that kind of stuff in terms of I could never see in a billion years an athlete nowadays, like a Draymond Green, just saying, sorry, I need a few days off in the middle of the season to go, you know, with a celebrity to Las Vegas and, you know, the star of that. And then Steph Curry having to wrangle him out of bed with a bunch of girls, you know. Absolutely. Never in a billion years see that happening today. Could you? 
in the age of social media where you can immediately pick up your phone and be like, oh, crap, that's Draymond Green of the club with 35 girls all over him? No. And, and yeah. you know, today, I mean, I'm sure he was he was uh, ridiculed back then and, and criticized for doing what he did. And he was. I mean, yeah. But today, he would he would be on trial for murder. I mean, yeah. it, it, that's what it would look like. And if, then, uh, it was on social media if a player did that in any sport today. I mean, I'm taking a few days off to go to Vegas. I mean, you, you're going to play basketball. And then especially, and, you know, leaving in the middle of the NBA finals to go wrestle with Hulk Hogan. See, that was almost worse because it's the NBA finals. I think it is worse. I think it 100% is worse because it is the NBA finals. I, you know, again, Draymond Green example. I don't think, you know, it would never happen today. Draymond Green is smart enough to know that you would never, you know, miss a day of practice in the middle of the NBA Finals to go wrestle on WWE. Like, and so just to get a quick note in here, Joe, um, the on the episode where this happened with the WWE Hulk Hogan stuff, the day after um, when they were practicing and Phil Jackson was pissed off that he wasn't there, they put the graphic on the screen of the date, June 9th, 1998. Um, on that day, 21 years ago, it was 22 years ago, my mother was uh, preparing to go to the hospital um, to introduce me to the world. Wow. So, special date. Yes. The world, date will never the, be the world will never be the same, Joe. No, it won't. That's for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, getting, getting back to uh, uh, Jerry Krause. Um, I think Michael Jordan, you know, he saw Jerry Krause as a person who was there, who drafted him and who brought him to the NBA world. He did draft him, but yeah. Okay, well, he kept him. Uh, he was a person that built a team around Michael Jordan. Yeah, before he got there, they were an okay team, but then he brought in, you know, Pippen. And he brought in Rodman, and he brought in Kerr, and he brought in, you know, he built those teams. Absolutely. Without, and I think without them, and this is going to be blasphemous. This is going to be absolutely unequivocally blasphemous. But without him, without him building that team with those supporting characters, Michael Jordan is the 1990s version of Russell Westbrook today. A good player and a player that has the potential to be great, but like he doesn't have anybody like, you know, he doesn't have that many supporting characters around him. And I know Russell Westbrook has James Harden. Like, don't, you know, kill me now. But he was like a good player. He was going to be great at an all-time great. But he wasn't going to be – I don't think he's arguably the greatest player of all time without Pippen and Rodman and Kerr and Longley 
and the rest of those players. Um, that was blasphemous. And next time I see you, I don't know what I'm going to do to you. But um, <laughs> Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time, in my opinion. Now, Scottie Pippen definitely helped. Of course they helped. But Michael Jordan is no Russell Westbrook. Not even close. I think when they both have their teams alone, Michael Jordan, there's no arguing that he's a better scorer than Russell Westbrook. I mean, he's the, I, personally, I think he's the greatest scorer of all time, averaging 30 points a game in his career. I mean, that's just obviously unheard of because he's the only one that did it. But I think that, yes, Jerry Krause is one of the greatest GMs of all time, bringing in Scottie Pippen, then bringing in Horace Grant. Then after getting rid of Horace Grant, he brings in a bunch of role players like um, Tony Kukoc from Europe. He brings in Dennis Rodman, even though he was nuts. You know, he knew that he was uh, a fierce competitor on the court. And, um, you know, I think overall that Jerry Krause and Michael Jordan were just two alphas kind of saying, okay, uh, you don't think, you know, I can win without you, you know, something like that. And I, I think that's why at the end, uh, Phil Jackson, you know, he said to him, this is going to be your last year. And Michael Jordan obviously didn't want to play without him. So the roller coaster just kind of went downhill. But I do think there were some things that Jerry Krause could have done better, like paying Scottie Pippen a big contract. He deserved it. I mean, it's a bigger contract. Yeah. Um, I think I think the documentary and I think the real life sort of paints Jerry Krause and the Bulls poorly for dismantling that team as quickly and as um, precipitously as um, they did. And, you know, I thought it was interesting at the very end of The Last Dance when Michael said that they all sort of would agree to one-year contracts to continue and try to make another run at it. If um, Jerry Krause and the Bulls did not make such a strong statement before the season saying that, like, you know, even if Phil Jackson went, I would, you know, 82-0, he still was not going to be um, gone. Or, excuse me, he still was not going to be kept. And like I said, I think they would have won a seventh if they came back because I, I, couldn't, I couldn't see a team stopping them. And... Uh, uh, you know, Michael Jordan being the way he is and all them saying in the documentary, you know, if they would have came back, they would have probably won a seventh. Um, uh, I think uh, it was kind of tough because Michael Jordan also, you know, he said during his Hall of Fame speech, you know, did Jerry Krause, you know, come on the court and um, play in the flu game? You know, he, he said that 
basically GMs are definitely a part of the franchise, but he said without the players, there is no GM, there is no six ring, which I do agree with. I mean, the players are, they're everything to the game. And yes, uh, but with that being said, just to play a little bit of devil's advocate here and um, argue against you here for a second, Joe, the players are the ones on the floor, a thousand percent. We could all agree upon that forever. But the players would not be together on the floor if not for the general manager putting them together on the floor. And well, it depends. Putting it depends on the players you're putting on the floor. Any players. I mean, it's true, but. Anyone could say to themselves, you know, during like uh, during a pickup game that they're a GM because they're saying, okay, you're on my team and you're on their team. I mean, Michael Jordan's kind of saying, you know, it's obviously 10 times harder to be on the court and perform and bring home the championships than it is to sit in an office and, you know, um, bring in guys that you think are um, – championship caliber guys that you know uh, that are building blocks to a championship team and um I, I think Jordan's right but I do think Jerry Krause when you take a look at the GM role is one of the best GMs of all time in in 100%. basketball and you know I personally um take more enjoyment out of playing if I'm playing a sports video game I take more enjoyment out of playing the you know dynasty mode be a GM mode whatever the that mode is on each respective game rather than player mode because I think I sort of I identify I think more a little bit with the you know the suits quote unquote you know the GMs than the players a little bit and I enjoy um, building a team rather than being a block in the building of the team. I enjoy by hand taking a crappy team and over the course of a season, two seasons, whatever it is on a game, you know, turning them into an unbelievable team. Hey, listen, we all have our different opinions, but, you know, I I do believe, um, and I'm not saying my talent is Michael Jordan's talent, but I do believe if, you know, we both had the ability to go onto the court and perform at an NBA level, we would like being a player much more than a GM because the players are the ones that, you know, create these actions and and all the off court perks that come with being a player. Of course, of course, but, but not even that it's just for the, for the love of the game. I mean, you know, from my experiences, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I've never been in a GM chair besides, you know, doing 2K or, or Madden, um, like you said. And I think it would definitely be fun to be a GM. 
But if I had that athletic ability, there is no question I would like doing that more. If I had to choose, what would you rather, be a, G, a, a great GM or a great player, I would no doubt choose great player because I love being on the court. I love playing the game. I think I would choose player as well, but I, I take um, a tremendous amount of pride in sort of my – the development of my crazy um, – because I think I would choose great player because of the lifestyle of it, because of the recognition that you get and everything. But I – enjoy sort of cultivating um, as much as possible a sort of encyclopedic sports knowledge and I it, I take a tremendous amount of pride in when I'm playing these games getting a big free agent or you know whatever and turning a crappy franchise which unfortunately every year is the Knicks on 2K um, and <laughs> you know taking them all the way to the NBA Finals, Stanley Cup to whatever. You know, I'm playing um, – not you or any of my listeners care, but I'm playing um, NHL right now. Uh, it's NHL 15 because it's the last NHL game they made for the Xbox 360. Uh, um, and I'm so excited to have a team of – you know, ridiculous players like, you know, robbing the Toronto Maple Leafs um, ahead of the 2016-17 season. Or no, I think it was, yeah, it was 2016-17 of um, Connor McDavid and William Nylander for um, Derek Stepan and some guy I drafted at the end of the first round who in real life is a 25-year-old uh, playing college hockey in Canada and three first-round picks. You know, I take a tremendous amount of pride in, like, stuff like that, like in video games, you know, being able to acquire people in real life that are the best in the league. Listen, we all got our different opinions, and that's why we do this podcast. Yeah, But I think, in the, like I said, in the last dance – and I think for this Bulls dynasty, 90s, if there is no players on the court like Michael Jordan or Scottie Pippen, then there is no six championships. But saying that, you know, I think every part of the team has to work together. And the biggest part... 100%. It's a team sport. The biggest part, of course, is the players. And I think, you know, Phil Jackson has to do a lot with that. Like I said, Jerry Krause has to do a lot with that. Uh, Scotty Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Horace Grant, Steve Kerr, James Paxson, um, Bill Cartwright, Tony Kukoc, going on and on and on down the list. You know, Michael Jordan was the star of the game. If there's no Michael Jordan – there's no six rings. Oh, yes. But that being said, if there is no, if there is no um, role players or Phil Jackson, who knows how many rings 
Michael Jordan would have had. I think he would have definitely had at least two or three. But I don't know if he would have had six. So Jerry Krause definitely helped him get to that stage there. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that it was a collaborative effort from everybody from, you know, Jerry Krause compiling the roster to Phil Jackson choosing what players to put on the floor at any given time to, and, you know, making sure all of the players didn't, you know, want to kill each other um, and maintaining locker room morale, which I also chalk up to the players and the players for doing their jobs very, very, at a very, very high level. Um, And so, of course, as we said, a lot of, uh, or excuse me, as we said, now moving ahead, um, ESPN starting this Sunday through June 14th uh, will be showing different um, documentaries for until June 14th. The first one being a two-part documentary premiering this Sunday, uh, Lance, about Lance Armstrong and, of course, his battle with cancer and his steroid controversy and everything else that goes on along with his legacy. Um, so, and the other two being B. Water um, uh, about Bruce Lee and Long Gone Summer about the 1998 home run chase between Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. Um, so out of those three, Joe, which are you most looking forward to? Are you going to watch all three? Um, I probably won't watch all three, I'll be honest with you. I'll definitely watch Maguire and Sosa because that is what I'm most interested in. Um, I think that is going to be a pretty special 30 for 30. I mean, you know, it's going to explain, obviously, them – you know, taking some steroids and uh, juicing up for those homers. But I think it's a story to tell on how, um, you know, a home run chase for the record of of how many you could hit is, um, you know, at the end of the day, there's a curtain in front of that. And behind that curtain is them, you know, doing what they got to do to uh, hit those homers 500 feet. So (laughs) I think it's going to be interesting, and I'll definitely watch that one. Yes, I think it's literally impossible to tell the story of the 1998 home run chase without including that huge part of it, you know. Yep. Uh, I'm interested with that one to see whether or not they – really delve into the fact that that saved baseball after the 1984 strike end of the season early and uh, how complacent Major League Baseball was in the steroid era at the time of that one season Um, which and you know whether it will go past that a little bit um, into ensuing seasons. A little bit. I mean, that'll probably just be a little, you know, 10-minute recap at the end. But, yeah. 
Well, yeah. it's, it's definitely going to be interesting. And hopefully it brings, you know, a lot of viewers and uh, some excitement in, in this pandemic to, you know, watch something new with sports. Yeah. And I think Lance Armstrong will be interesting as well. What about Lance Armstrong? I'm definitely it'd be interested to see if that's good. Um, and ESPN can continue their hot streak here. Um, because I certainly find that whole story interesting. And it's something that, you know, I said this the other day, it's true. As I get older and live through more significant moments, I find these documentaries that are coming out more and more sort of uh, interesting is not the word I would use, but sort of relevant. Relevant because I, not relevant, but like I know what's going to happen. It's not like I'm learning. Like a lot of The Last Dance, I was learning. Um, but like Lance Armstrong, I remember sort of the hype around him and I remember all of the Livestrong bands and I remember, you know, Tour de France wins and I remember hearing about his cancer and stuff like that. And then I remember the collapse of his legacy, you know, the absolute implosion of his legacy. That's true. Um, I don't know how much we could say about the Maguire and Sosa chase because I was one years old. And I was, you know, I was born, as we said, on June 9th, 1998. So, you know, after June 9th, I was from, you know, one day to, you know, three months. So, Yeah, absolutely. And I think just getting back to the last dance, I just want to say one more thing is that uh, the difference between every player and Michael Jordan, I think, is the way he was able to finish in big situations, Um, you know, going all the way back to his days in North Carolina with the game-winning shot. And then, you know, going to his first championship with Magic Johnson, the uh, the switcheroo in his hands. Yeah. Um, The second championship, Clyde Drexler – the famous shrug against the Blazers. The third championship, he just wanted to shut Charles Barkley's mouth up. (laughs) Um, Then you can go to, you know, him leaving in his prime. I mean, you got to have a lot of guts to do that, a lot of confidence. He left, he came back a little rusty, but then that following year, he wins his fourth championship. And um, unfortunately, without his father, and that was something very, uh, you know, very sad to see. Um, he would, he, I, I'm sure you remember him crying hysterically on the floor after yeah. they won. I uh, wonder, with his baseball hiatus um, for a year and a half, how many they win if he doesn't leave? Do they win eight in a row? Hey, it's very possible. Possibility that they win eight in a row. It's very possible they could have won eight or they could have won nine. They could have won from 91 all the way to 98. And, of course, if they came back for another year, it would have been 99. But 
I think it was good that he did that because he took some time off. You know, baseball is not as active, let's say, as basketball. You're not running up and down every two seconds. Yeah. So I think that gave his body a rest. And I think that, you know, um, it, it, we would never know. If if he stayed, would they have won more? But would he have retired earlier? Nobody knows. But I do think that uh, it's a possibility there could have been a lot more than three in a row if he wouldn't have left. And then, you know, getting getting back into it in, in 97, the flu game in Utah. I mean, I, I can't even pick up a fork when I'm sick. This guy went out in the NBA Finals, and, you know, he wins the game for the Bulls, carries the Bulls to a victory. Yeah. And then, of course, in 98, the last dance final season with that dynasty uh, comes to an end with the sixth championship. And I think that, of course, with that final shot is just another way of Michael Jordan proving why he's, he's so great. Uh, because of the way he did things. And I think it was a phenomenal documentary. And, of course, every time I think of The Last Dance now, I'm going to think of the coronavirus. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. I think, too, really quickly before we get to our last segment, we'll wrap this part of this segment up and we'll get to our last one in a second. But I think that if Michael Jordan had stuck with baseball, for longer than a year and a half, I think he could have been an all-star. I mean, I think with his work ethic and his, you know, like they said on the documentary, he was taking swings before the game. He was taking swings after the game. I think he could have been an all-star. Easy. I think he could have continued. I think he could have climbed the minor league ladder and become an all-star in Major League Baseball. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's how good of an athlete he was. Um, and I think that, you know, Michael Jordan's up there with, with uh, you know, Willie Mays and, you know, all the great athletes that, um, you know, were able to just accomplish so much. And, I mean, it, it's crazy because, you know, you could talk about all the guys from the 60s, the 50s, the 40s, but the biggest difference, I think, and it's going to be a big difference, of course, with LeBron when he retires too, is that everything is on film and it's so crystal clear. And even in the 90s, I mean, they did a great job of, of – making it seem like we were back in the 90s. I felt like I was in the 90s when I was watching this. Yeah. So I, I think that we were able to see, like, every single glimpse of Michael Jordan, which is why we do believe he is the best of all time. So uh, it was it was a great documentary. I enjoyed it a lot. And, you know, I never really knew everything about Michael Jordan, of course, till now. Yeah. Um, and so I loved it, but, and so one very quick, um, segment here, Joe. So with these three on the horizon, what, um, 
30 for 30s. What if you are now the head of ESPN? I'm putting you in the master chair. Um, what 10 part documentary about an era, about a team, about a player, whatever, do you want to see now? Next, I would. Um, wow, that's that's uh, that's a tough one, but um, I would say I would say, you know, someone like a Tiger Woods or a Tom Brady, but they are still playing. So, I would go with a classic football team like the Forty ers when they had the Joe Montana dynasty. Yeah, I could, I think it would be interesting to watch in like 15 years to watch a uh, documentary about the country as a whole and through the through a sports angle of um, the country and sports through the angle of a Trump, the Trump era. You know, whether it's be like you said with the 49ers, the, you know, Colin Kaepernick stuff and all of the you know, kneeling and protest of police brutality um, to the White House visits and teams and players saying, no, I don't want to go. And players and teams saying, yes, I want to, you know, everything. Um, and, but I, so we expand on your idea about the Niners. I'm sorry, Joe. No, you're good. Uh, I don't know about a 10-part documentary because one more thing about The Last Dance. I think it shows that um, uh, could this be a stretch? Maybe. But I think it shows that as of right now, you know, I know there could be a documentary on the Patriots later on down the road, but I think it shows that they are the greatest dynasty ever. Yeah. I mean, I think you could throw all sports. I think you could, I would make the argument that you could throw the Patriots um, in there, who I certainly think will get a documentary um, once it's all said and done of the you know Brady Belichick era. I think you could throw the eighties um, and the eighties Oilers in there with. I know you're not a huge hockey guy, but you know with Gretzky, Fjord. Yeah, I know. I know exactly. Everybody, but um, I thought too with the last dance that it wasn't. It didn't seem like they were sort of stretching to fill ten, ten parts. It didn't feel like it was forced into ten parts for me, at least. Yeah, no, they did a great job. I think they did a great job. Um, I liked how they were going from, you know, 1985 to when Jordan was first drafted all the way to 98, that whole 98, 97, 98 season. And they were going back and forth and the gap got closer and closer until, you know, it was finally the 1998 finals. And that was the end. Um, and so I think I have two ideas for a documentary that I'd like to see um, that could be fascinating 
was my first documentary idea. Would it be a 10-parter? It maybe be a one or a two-parter um, about the University of Florida from 2006 to 2007 and like a little bit of 2008 because the sheer amount of people that were on that campus that are notable people now is absolutely insane. I mean, you had both the football and men's basketball teams going back-to-back, winning back-to-back championships. And uh, you had, you know, you had Aaron Hernandez, Tim Tebow, Dan Blazarian, Matt Laporta, Matt Decker, Percy Harvin, Urban Meyer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the other idea that I had was a uh, – and we can expand upon this on our next episode, which we'll call the soon. Um, I'll remember to a 10-part documentary about New York sports during the 1990s in which it was a lot of teams – being very good, but not being able to get over the hub until, except for um, certain circumstances, when the Rangers won one and then the Yankees turned it on at the end of the decade. Um, and so that'll just about do it for us here on Empire Sports Talk. This has been Max O'Neill alongside. Joe Tedesco, uh, thank you for joining me today, Joe. It was a good one. It was a long one, but it was a good one, nonetheless. No, we definitely something that hopefully, um, you know, all our viewers out there will, uh, you know, give them something positive during this tough time of a pandemic and the coronavirus. And hopefully by the next pod, things will start to open up more and more, and um, the pandemic will start to slowly – decline even more and um of course hit us up on social media at empire sports talk that's on twitter to let us know if you're listening um it's at the est pod on twitter uh, to let us know if you're listening what you thought what you thought of the last dance and everything else. Um, And so thank you all for listening. Thank you for joining me, Joe. So that'll do it. Uh, Stay safe during this difficult time. This has been Max O'Neill alongside Joe Tedesco. Thank you very much. Thanks for watching guys.